0: Hi, I'm Science Mike and I'm Michael Gunger. Welcome to season 5 of the Liturgist Podcast everybody. So Mike, you weren't able to be on this episode with Bushy. I don't you were off like signing autographs or <laughs> what I do drinking usually, champagne on your yacht or whatever. Yeah,
1: I have I sign autographs and have mental health crises. <laughs> my, the one two punch of Science Mike. <laughs>
0: uh, it's it's an amazing interview. It uh, it picks up steam as it goes, and it's full of fire. But uh, you're a you're a guy that's practiced Buddhist practices to a degree.
1: Yeah, that that's fair. My first exposure to Buddhist practice was was in the westernized, sterilized variant, known as mindfulness, which was like my methadone <laughs> when I was yeah. getting off the God addiction. Mm. And it was really helpful, but obviously mindfulness is completely practice-based.:
0: Was that pre- like pre-atheism or in the middle of all the atheism, or middle after? of
1: atheism? Like, God's gone. Okay. I need something. Got gotcha. you. Mindfulness mm-hmm. And it was uh it was post-mystical experience that I really started to examine Buddhism. Mm. I had examined it kind of on the way out of faith briefly. And was like, well, that's as ridiculous as anything else, <laughs> because I took a real superficial view.
0: Hmm. What was that? I, like, can you remember how you saw it at the time?
1: A neutered Hinduism. Okay. Um, the very notion of enlightenment seemed woo to me, hmm. but it wasn't. A, it wasn't a deep. It was a a slightly deeper than Wikipedia examination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I was on a mission to disregard all faith in an open-minded way like it wasn't really open-minded i was i was on the 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 rails to atheism Mm -hmm. at that point so after i have the mystical experience and i start trying to re-encounter christian theology like my bullshit reflex was so strong Mm -hmm. from my skepticism that i couldn't engage even really open eastern traditions or modern traditions of christianity without just this reflexive rejection so it was reading karen armstrong's a history of god Hmm. that exposed me to ideas in buddhist teachings ways that the divine was positioned, if it could even be called the divine, Yeah. that started getting me to study some writings and some practices within the Buddhist tradition, but even then, my understanding wasn't new, nuanced to understand one school from another school, uh-huh. so in a very entitled, post-atheist way, I just cafeteria-grabbed whatever was helpful from whatever I read, and, um, at first the only theology I had was a hodgepodge of a Buddhist and some Hindu notions of god and, and spiritual growth. And that was true for a while really even when I started to contemplate, you know, who Christ was or could be again. Any idea I had of non-dualism I picked up from studying Buddhist thought mm. and only later grafted that into my Christian faith. Hmm.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of misunderstandings, misconceptions about Buddhism as we see it through our movies and our uh, Western expressions of it. it becomes a very new age, woo, often like white people going, okay, find your inner bliss. <laughs> right.
1: I, I'm actually afraid to talk about Buddhism for that reason. Uh-huh i feel like i know enough about buddhism to know how little i know about buddhism Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense yeah yeah um and i i don't want to i don't want to reinforce those superficial stereotypes of la buddhists (laughs) basically
0: yeah Okay, so before we dive into today's interview with Bushi, who is a Zen monk, I thought we could just clear up a few of the really common misconceptions about Buddhism before diving in, so we have at least a little bit of common understanding. Buddhism is not a woo-woo, self-help, new-age religion for people to feel superior to other less enlightened people. In many ways, it's actually quite opposite of that. In fact, to a lot of people, calling Buddhism a religion is not quite accurate. Part of the problem that happens when Christians and post-Christians start looking at Buddhism is they interpret it through the same sort of lenses that they used to interpret Christianity. So Christianity had a savior that came to save the world who was somehow God in a way that other people weren't and taught us how to live so that we wouldn't sin and could be pleasing to God. But that's not the fundamental story of Buddhism in any way. The Buddha is not a god to be worshipped like Christ, or the idea of the Father. I remember I used to go to a Chinese restaurant when I was a kid and saw the big golden laughing Buddha statue. That was Budai. I thought it was just the one Buddha, but but I figured that it was a statue and it was gold, so it must be like the golden calf in the Old Testament. And these people were just worshipping this false god, this false idol. That really is quite far from what Buddhism is. The tradition makes no claims about the divine, although to say the tradition might be a little misleading because Buddhism is not a single school of thought. A lot of people mistakenly think that all Buddhists have the same beliefs and practices, But the Buddhist world is quite diverse, like Christianity. Think about how many different expressions of Christianity you can find within the religion. So not all Buddhists meditate, or are pacifists, or are vegetarians, or believe in reincarnation. There are different schools of Buddhism, different interpretations of the Dharma, the teaching of the Buddha. Some Buddhists believe in God or in gods of some kind, while others do not. Some pray, while others do not. Buddhism is remarkably compatible with many other religions and worldviews, because it doesn't make a whole lot of fundamental claims other than the nature of suffering, which is essentially clinging to desire. And while it may be fair to say that the end of suffering would be the common goal between practitioners and studiers of the Dharma, of the Buddhist teachings from Siddhartha Gotama, it would also not be fair to impose Christendom's lens of shoulds and should nots over the top of Buddhism, as though one should do these practices in order to not suffer, or that suffering is bad or anything like that. So I encourage you to listen to this series with an open mind and an open heart It's a powerful conversation. And actually, interestingly enough, personally, I had a shift after this conversation in how I would like to communicate my inner landscape of assumptions and beliefs and lack thereof to other people. Many of you probably heard the Christian series towards the end where William Matthews, Our beloved co-host tried to convince me to be a Christian after having let go of that label. But as we spoke with Bushi, funny enough, I think he changed my mind. Uh, There's a point of this interview where Bushi says, I am a Christian because I'm a friend of Christ. And in that moment, I notice how free of subtext the sentence felt to me. I didn't feel like he was making a claim of exclusivity. I didn't feel like he was seeing himself as above anyone else. I didn't assume his statement came with any political or social attachments with what that word or identity would mean. In fact, as Bushi, this Zen Buddhist monk, said that he was a Christian because he was a friend of Christ, it made me feel like he was affirming the journey of all humans, regardless of their labels. Funny enough, that's kind of the vibe I was shooting for when I was opting for Nettie Nettie, which means not this, not that. But in hearing him speak, I wondered if saying yes to all labels was sort of the same thing, just perhaps a more generous... And even in ways, an accurate way of accomplishing what I was trying to accomplish by saying no to all the labels. So it's it's something I'm still thinking about, but I will tell you that someone came up to me recently and asked if I was a Christian. And my natural response was, yes, and I'm a Buddhist and a Hindu and a Taoist as well. And honestly, it felt good. It felt like an affirmation of the truth that I see. In all of the great traditions. But we'll see where it goes. Who knows? It's Tuesday today, you know? (laughs) Uh, And honestly, labels don't mean much to me, as I don't hold on to a sense of a permanent self to be a this or that anyway. This is all just stories and marketing. (laughs) Um, But those stories are useful for practical purposes. So But i just wanted to let you know that because after this interview my practical purpose has actually shifted a little Uh, but enough from me you get to hear from me all the time you need to meet bushi he's this wise and beautiful soul his full name is bushi yamato damashi a man who was born a preacher's kid became a pastor and eventually a zen buddhist monk and the lead teacher at the Daishan Zen Buddhist Temple in Thomasville, North Carolina.
2: As a child, I was urged to study abroad. I mean, before I knew where India was, uh, my grandmother had uh, just about ordered every Britannica over the years and uh, made sure that uh, she would give us reading lists and tasks to do. Uh, My penmanship Hmm. even today is, is stellar. Um, you know, we, we learned those things cursive. (laughs) I do. And I'm, I'm exquisite at it, (laughs) but we, we were always from the navel to the ability to stand on your own feet. We were urged to read and not just necessarily, uh, read one perspective, but many perspectives. And so for me, once an, ex, uh, an experience or, or perspective had exhausted itself, then I realized it was time to learn more. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, typically in Buddhism, you know, we, we often uh, ask the questions until there are no more questions to ask. And then when you've done that, then you move on. That area of your life is clear. You can see it for what it is. And uh, all of the delusions and perceptions that you had that were false, they are now revealed. And so I guess for me, it was just this constant, you know, search. And in so living in the church, you know, I was a pastor and seeing the experience of uh, the experiences of those that uh, were parishioners in the church and clergy, I desire, church can tire you out. And I think that's what happened. I think I came to this place to realize we are repeating the same thing but we are expecting a glorified end, and this is lunacy by definition in and of itself. Hmm. And then, uh, in so researching even more, you know, one of the things I noticed that Christianity, as a institution, as a as a major religion, one of the things that Christianity, off top, fails to provide for many Christians are practices. Yeah, there is liturgy. There is protocol, there is structure, there is ecclesia, there is episcopacy, there's presbytery, you know, but uh, there are no practices, and in particular practices that search deep within uh, our consciences. Usually in Christianity, we have the remedy of pray it out or pray it off or or pass it on or say this many Our Fathers and Hail Marys, or we do this, uh, this rather unconsciously conscious thing of uh, just providing some sort of, you know, adaptation of a a prayer uh, to suffice for the deeper need. You know, I watched people over the course of years in the church, you know, just become older and become more unhealthy and continue the same traditions that liberated neither they nor the people that were coming up behind them. And I think that's a very Mm -hmm. obvious uh, perspective of uh, much uh, of Christianity here in America. So I think for me, being an individual who was urged to not only see it from the perspective of those that are great and small, but to see it from your own eyes, and this is something too that uh, I found, like many people, very disheartening about Christianity, you know, this, this idea that we are to serve God and to give up everything that we have of our own and adopt or assimilate into some sort of a uh, holy being without actually having gone through the nasty work of becoming holy. And I'm not saying that I'm holy. What I'm saying is I found practices that uh, put me a little bit closer to being better in actuality uh, than I was. So these are the things that kind of urged me along the path. And uh, as it is, you know, known throughout the world, and I made it very clear you know, when I left the church, I took Jesus with me. I think it's what we both wanted. Mm. And, you know,
3: <laughs> I was going to ask Bushy because I'm from North Carolina, too. I, I grew up mm-hmm. there. I wasn't born there, but I grew up there. You're from North Carolina. So I was going to ask you, uh, you know, you can let go of the church. But did you let go of Jesus, too? <laughs> you, can't, you can't let go of Jesus, Bushy.
2: You know, you can't, you can't let, let, go let go of, the go Lord. of Jesus. I, you know, you can't let go of <laughs> when, the <Lord>. <laughs> When I was preparing my exodus, uh, you know, it was he and I who were confiding in each other. He wanted to know when Mm -hmm. I was going to go and how much he needed to bring, you know. So, (laughs) Well, God bless. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I've never felt like more of a Yankee Wisconsin boy.
3: (laughs) It's okay. We'll let you into the conversation. (laughs) No, talk about that process, right? Like, you're this pastor. Your grandma... Was a, a preacher? Maybe she wasn't ordained, yeah. but she was a preacher. You you know you said yeah. you're a child of a BK, PK. Right. You grew up in right. the church, the black church, your whole life. The black church, um, right. Which is has its own beauty and idiosyncrasies, right? Right. How do you transition as a pastor into? Did you instantly jump into a type of Zen Buddhist practice? Obviously, you were leaning that way, but I mean, it seems right. like you've gone right. through uh, you know a bit of a transformation in that, like. Yeah. Explain the ten- the beautiful tension of
2: that process for right. you
3: as it was unfolding.
2: Right. I understand. I was raised in a home where we had uh, many people who visited from all cultures and walks of life. Um, so this uh, th- this was not a hard leaning for me. However, I do remember as I was exiting, beginning to proclaim my allyship with uh, Eastern religion as a result of studying and, and coming to find some sort of community in that in my own life. There was this reluctance from within my own community, uh, African-Americans, uh, who found this va- uh, very uh, misunderstood or, uh, you know, many people thought I was copping out, you know, or that I was doing the wrong hmm. thing or, or that my, uh, my soul uh, was in jeopardy, you know, and I, and I dealt with that. I didn't know how to deal with that as I do now. Now I understand that, uh, you know, once we define it, we have to defend it. And so most of the encouragement or disencouragement that I received largely came from Christians who had these structured ideologies, these kind of ironclad thoughts and perspectives about their God, their Jesus and the rule of the church, the law of the church and how the church is particularly the black church how it should be run. And I, uh, I realized that's what I was dealing with. Nevertheless, when the pursuit of truth is honest within yourself, you will find a way to deal with the, the gnashing and, uh, uh, of teeth and mean mugging that people will, will encourage you. And I think uh, if you push your way through that, that's, that's when you find happiness. You have to get beyond the emotion of the thing and study deeper you know, I lost my grandfather when I was 13 years old and it crippled me. It crippled me as a young man. But I had to learn and I had some good people such as my grandmother and others, uh, who encouraged now, you know, this is the only time that you'll experience this and the rest of this will happen over and over in your mind. Um, you have mm. to learn not, not to live in this moment for the rest of your life, uh, all the mm. time. And so, You know, so that's a very valuable lesson to learn. And I think uh, Christianity could learn from that. It's amazing. We memorialize everything. Um, And what this does is it reinforces, especially for human beings who have not dealt with the trauma, uh, it reinforces this kind of vividness of a delusion that is not present uh, at the very moment. That does not mean that it is not sad. That does not mean that it was not tragic. But uh, we have to learn to transition from failure to success and do that with your whole self, Uh, the consciousness, uh, the truth of your being, and your placement in that truth. If you are not uh, where you need to be spiritually, then going through these things and dealing with them honestly are uh, great medicine for that. So I think for me, it was just, I got tired of, you know, I was a Marine. And so, uh, when I woke up every morning, putting on my uniform, the, the, the gentlemen who were going to be fighting in the foxhole next to me, weren't in army gear, you see. Mm -hmm. Uh, and -hmm. I think for Christianity, that was, uh, that was pretty much the case for me. We're going to play hard. Let's play hard. But, uh, (laughs) Let's be playing hard and not something else, you know? <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. Mm. Cuz you you talked a lot about trauma in light of the Christian yeah. experience. You know, I I'm I'll be kind of honest with you. You know, you didn't fully answer my question <laughs> because I mm-hmm. you know, I and right. I know there <laughs> okay. has to be a lot of pain in yeah. there, right? Like I I'm, I'm not asking you even to say more as much as I I kind of want to talk about how does this intersect as well we danced around it, but with your blackness, right? Like being black just carries a type of trauma. You were walking around with a type of PTSD on some level, depending on your experience of blackness Uh and, and also your, how your trauma and your blackness is interacting with your faith. It sounds to me that there, there came this crisis um, that was being informed mm-hmm. on several fronts that you found mm-hmm. a, a type of respite maybe with Eastern religion or a, mm-hmm. a way to actually mm-hmm. start helping you process that trauma. Cause that's mm-hmm. what it sounds mm-hmm. like what you're talking about. Um, Absolutely, what, would yes. you, what would you say to, to people, products, children of the black church who are tired, who are traumatized? who have gone through various experience. Like we've had several decades of a prosperity gospel that has not been working for the black church, but yet it's still being preached. Right.
2: Um, right. You would, have, you, would thought,
3: you would have thought if it was real, my parents would be millionaires by now, but it ain't. Uh-huh. So what do you say to people of color, particularly who have often been susceptible to, American religion, American white Christian religion, and and feel tired of it all. Because I feel like that's sort of this corporate moment we're in right now is there's a lot of tiredness. um, And and it seems like there's trauma around not
2: just our blackness, but also uh, the Christian faith.
3: So what would you say to people uh, in that process?
2: I, I fully understand your question. And let me let me answer by saying, you know, I deal with a lot of people. And I, I often deal with people from every walk of life, every race, uh, black and white, uh, rich and poor. And with regards to Christianity, in particular, people come to me and they they voice their frustrations, and I fully understand. Especially black people, um, I've had um, you know so many discussions over the years with uh, people who uh, have been following this. Sh- tradition, this way, this custom, uh, almost this birthright, so to speak, you know, and and they have difficulty with it because, you know, they they deal with sometimes racism, they deal with, uh, you know, religious misinterpretation, those sorts of things. And in most cases, many are frustrated because it appears that they, uh, this is what people say they you know feel like they're m- like mice on a wheel, hmm. um, and you know they're never really going anywhere with this religion. They're not going anywhere with at least the the perspectives that uh, the church currently offers. And so when you when you have black trauma, identity issues, self identity issues. Uh, self-motivation issues, issues of attempting to heighten one's own intellectual perspective. Sometimes we don't heighten our level of uh, education or our level of experience simply because we've been taught within our culture that, no, we don't do that. You see. Mm. But when the church breaks down and they come and they say these things, you know, they often ask, what do you do? And uh, my answer is very clear. I don't know what to tell you what to do about your situation, about being a black person, um, dealing with traumas, and then now you're frustrated with the church. But I can tell you this, and this is what I say to folk, you are more than a black person dealing with the delusions or whatever uh, troubles are going on in the church, whatever you're dealing with, spiritually, you are more than that. And then they often say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, you are identifying yourself with the perspective of of someone else. And this is a common problem with us as black folks. Sometimes, you know, we live in the post-traumatic stress disorder of our parents. And so their rituals become our rituals. Their ways of thinking about God even become our ways, And so we don't have an issue of of God not being relevant or God not working in our lives. We have an issue of how are we seeing God through our experiences. Hmm. And so I think the experiences, you know, of where God is to be found need to be taught within the black church, within the black community. And I think it needs to be taught in vividness and expressed very clearly that uh, God is also found in nature, God is mostly found in nature. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, our minds are so focused on the church, the temporal building, the scripture, the paper, the liturgy of the cloth, uh, you know, all of the things that we do in church, we put great devotion to that yet. We reluctantly and negligently commune with God on the very places that Moses did. And, mm. uh, experience the wonder of the parting of the waters you know, coming to terms with the earth is to come to terms with God. And I think that's, uh, that could be one of the reasons why the church doesn't work so well. Now we can modify it all day long. We can open up churches and we can a- customize to these people and that people. And I think that's great. But if that is our greatest aspiration, we're still no more than mice on a wheel recycling because we offer nobody else from any other generation to come. Any perspective that says it's all right, To abandon this and seek greater of yourself. And so to black folk, I would say often, you know, you know, uh, some of the troubles that we're facing, um, I deal with it every day. I'm a black man in robes in a very conservative area of North Carolina, but I choose to be here. Why? Well, because what people think of me and what people do to me on a day to day basis don't line up. You see, they may talk tough. They may talk all of this mean stuff, but I don't die every day. So therefore, nature and God work in, uh, uh, work, work well for me in this regard. And to have that reality, to have the reality to know, to, to hold that reality that most of our fusses, most of our confusion and delusion and hatreds towards one another lie within the thing that we will be willing to define the most. Mm. And that is usually pinned to how we are seeing ourselves through the thing that is largely outside of ourselves. God is not outside of ourselves. There's, there's no reason to seek God outside of oneself. Mm. History is to prove that. We've had churches here in America since we landed. And how is that working for the world today? Mm. You know, it's our practice. So we, I would say, you know, we need to start teaching children uh, in the black community as well as in the white community as well. in all communities, all communities of human beings. Yeah, we need to challenge the perspectives of God, the perspectives of the Bible, and, and let those biblical passages and those biblical truths be lived out in our day-to-day breathing, our day-to-day involvement with each other. Um, so yes, that's what I would, I would say. <laughs>
0: Hey everybody, just want to really quick let you know about a few events that are happening because as fun as the podcast is, it just, of course, is never as great as when we actually get to be in a room together. So we've got a few tickets left in the Kin Men's Retreat that's happening in May, May 24th and 25th in Ojai, California, to be more specific. You can get your tickets at theliturgists.com if you've been wanting to do one of those get your tickets quick they always sell out fast also don't forget to get your tickets to the farewell gungor tour the end of the world tour that we spoke about a couple podcasts ago if you go to gungormusic.com slash tour this is your last chance to sing some of these songs that we've used on this podcast and spoken about on this podcast and Even though it's a Gunger show, there's usually a bunch of liturgists there. So you can also meet each other. We are also working on a handful of other events from the liturgists that we will be letting you know about soon.
3: So keep an eye out for that. All right, let's get back to our conversation with Bushi. I'm struck by several things. I'm struck by the way you have allowed what you have learned. And that seems to be a word that keeps cropping up in your speech, mm-hmm. is that you're a learner, that you are a learned man, that you have allowed other perspectives to reinform that which was given to you, that you originally yeah. treasured, which is the Christian faith, and you've allowed those right. things to reinform them. I'm struck by not a lot of people will do that. Not a lot of people allow different disciplines or even different religious thoughts to reinform their religious right. thoughts. So mm-hmm. that's just groundbreaking for a lot of people. But also, how does this then interact? Because a lot of what you're talking about, what seems to me as the I, right, which is Mm -hmm. the the internal practice, it seems very focused on the I. And it seems Christianity has always uh, very much been concerned about the we. How do you then integrate Mm -hmm. those things, right? Or at least for people that want to, integrate those Mm -hmm. things and and you said earlier you said you know people can modify the church and that's great and that's wonderful but it still doesn't replace right you know kind of the internal transformation that you're talking about Mm. which to me are things that i i see inside the text the the cries for holiness and sanctification you know especially that you you'd hear in the black church and and even the collective sense of holiness yeah is there a way i don't i don't know if there's a way but i'm so i'm asking you yeah somebody that's (laughs) gone on this journey and obviously, it's still yeah. a journey of of bringing the I and the we together in the way of the freedom and the liberation, and, and potentially, mm-hmm. I'm just opening this up um, yeah. in some of the the tradition and the and the the collective practices that at least a lot of us or some of us feel are valuable whether it's corporate singing right Mm -hmm. um finding god in nature i fully agree with you finding god in nature finding god in the 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 omnipresence of of god as everything and everywhere um, but also in the collective intentional reverence space of that can we do both is there a way to do both
2: yeah i you know so this has been a this has been an ongoing question uh for me personally um you know even though i've worked tirelessly on myself as is the nature of, or should be the nature of all of us. And I think Buddhism largely brought me to that, uh, that realization as a Zen monk, uh, one of the things that uh, we're often encouraged to do, and uh, this is often said uh, through story, um, as the young monk approached the master, the Roshi, the Roshi screamed to him, uh, sit down and shut up. Mm -hmm. And that particular instruction, rather harsh as it came across, uh, was absorbed as such. Uh, the young monk took that uh, that advice, he took that perspective of what he should do with his life, and he he sat down and he didn't say a thing, while the whole time he's sitting down, he's feeling bad as if he's done something. The Roshi said no more to him, uh, had no more conversation. Until he had built up the nerve within himself to ask what he had done wrong. And it was only after he had found this uh, power within himself to question himself. Did he get the power to go and ask this Roshi? And when he did ask the master, the master said, oh, no, you you took that wrong. Sit down merely means to meditate, means to sit down and see what's going on in your world and shut up simply means don't open your mouth to give commentary about what you're seeing. And so mm-hmm. for me, when I came across this, uh, this, this lesson through my own experience, uh, having all the expressions and the emotions, just as everybody else, uh, you know, would, would first perceive of hearing the story. I, I lived that. And then I later learned that taking time to not busy one's mind in either God nor hell, is a happy median to find out who you are. One of the things that I learned is that when, when we hold on to ideas, perspectives, viewpoints, it clouds our judgment and it also blurs. It makes rather opaque what we're actually seeing. And so you have to let the thing go. Why? Because the universe and history and even the last several years here in the country have taught us everything changes. And so this is a staple of Buddhism. Buddhism teaches that everything changes and to be happy, to be healthy, to be ever growing and ever learning. To understand what it means to uh, be tolerant and loving, to even go forward to uh, go so far to say that you, you will fully understand the Christ consciousness or development of understanding of what Christ meant when he said to love your enemies you see, often when you sit and observe, you get to really see who you are. The problem with us is we offer commentary on what we think we're seeing. Mm-hmm. We're like often children riding down a boulevard with a lot of lights. And, uh, and if it's our first time, well, you know, it's going to be fascinating and we'll call out everything. We as adults do that every moment of our lives in many cases. And so we never get a perspective of where we really are or what we're doing or who's who and why do we not like them and why don't they like me? We're so often attached to some sort of perspective uh, that we're missing each other and this is what causes the confusion. And so that's what happened to me. I got tired of, I saw, you know, the movie The Matrix is fascinating to me. There's this cycle of delusion that everybody lives in, these kind of programs that people live in and underneath the surface we're being sucked dry of all of our essence because we believe the delusion. It is a reinforcement of the protocol. It is a reinforcement of our lunacy, of our attachments. And so God has not failed. People have failed to allow themselves to be God.
0: In your Buddhist practice, as you became a monk, I... I would love to hear more about that process and Mm -hmm. and what you discovered, because, you know, when I first began to study Buddhism more and practice more myself, I had kind of Mm -hmm. a a Western book learned Mm -hmm. romantic Mm -hmm. idea of what Buddhism was and how it was practiced. And then in my travels, when I would go to a, a certain kind of Buddhist temple in uh, Hong Kong or wherever, i several places. And I was right, kind right. of shocked to be like, how did the teachings of the Buddha turn into this, where you're like selling mm. these trinkets mm-hmm. f- for your ancestors, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that you got to burn right. this stuff and, and it sends it to the ancestors. And it's kind of yeah. like prosperity gospel in a, yeah. in a, in a different context, different culture. Gotcha. And then, you know, of course, you can ask the same about how did the teachings of Jesus turn into laser lights and fog machines, <laughs> skinny jeans. Yeah, right. A, um, <laughs> right. <laughs> but I'm just exactly. curious and you, for the same reason that I don't really call myself a Christian. I don't really call myself a Buddhist either. Cause I'm not really mm. fully in the culture, right. but I'm curious at how your experience was moving from the thoughts and the practices yourself into an actual monastic community into yeah. a, a, full-on Buddhist lifestyle and in in the tradition.
2: Yeah. So, uh, for me, when I came across Buddhism, it was not for academic endeavor. It was based on its history. Buddhism, largely throughout the course of its history, deals directly with personal standing, one's personal standing. In the universe. And after having uh, a number of uh, critical experiences that kind of really rocked me, you know, I was a Marine and deployed off to uh, combat and we lost a, uh, uh, a daughter uh, in 2008, you know. And uh. at the same time uh, of losing my daughter, I was being installed as the new pastor of this uh, this place here. Mm. So here you are, this young minister, more so in faith at this particular point or at that particular point, who was uh, committed to doing the work of uh, saving all and uh, relieving the suffering of all sentient beings who was experiencing, you know, PTSD, the loss of a daughter, how to lead from, you know, uh, a perspective equal to that of George Bush just the other day. And I was that was the hand that I was dealt with. Now, when my daughter died, and you have to understand, we often say, I I know how they feel, you know, or I can imagine how they feel. And I used to say that. um, I am now one of those people. Uh, And I can assure that's not the case at all. its (laughs) I didn't even know. I was so far away from that reality. It was that experience and i had already been meditating i had already been uh, ordained and taken in and i had several teachers who were teaching me from afar and the church suggested these these things i call them to me they suggested to me that first of all god had a plan god needed a, another angel it'll be all right in the grand scheme of things she's with god it's all right You know, it'll be okay by and by. You know, those sorts of things that we still do today. I remember when I was a young PK up under my grandmother's foot just about. They were saying those same sorts of things with regards to dealing with people's trauma and suffering and hurt. And I think seeing my own DNA lay there before me in that casket did something. For... Just about two years, I, uh, I had suffered uh, t- uh, tremendous depression as a result of that. Couple of that with being deployed and it, it was horrible. So being such a diehard learner, my, my medicine is reading and studying. My medicine is going to the places that I can match uh, wisdom with actual experience. And it drove me to this place Where I needed to to really, really go in Uh, And Buddhism offered me that As a result of doing some critical work Of gaining some perspective on life and death Like death is not a bad thing Death is a thing that's supposed to happen And you haven't lived until you've died You can't cut it in half 50-50 And think that the one side is all that there is All of these truths All of these things you know, this cause and effect, this big comic, you know, mass of everything that we live in, um, you know, was was taught to me. All of those things that were missing from this, I, I often wondered why I couldn't connect Jesus to walking on water. And I'm not saying I can today, but I never could understand what made water so theologically insignificant that they would draw up some sort of amazing miracle such as that. Could it be that they were just trying to express the egotistic desire of how great their savior was to be? You know, could it still be reminiscent of the fact that they saw their master before all of these leaders riding in on a donkey instead of coming in chariots of gold and such? Or could it be we miss the basic fact that while most of us run from nature, Christ found liberation in his closest connections with his father in it mm. maybe we just scratch the surface we see we see the big picture but we don't understand the particulars and so buddhism led me to understand the particulars i'm of the mind today jesus is probably one of the best things that ever happened to america uh, even after its long slave history even after this uh This terrible condition that our country is in socially today I think Jesus is still one of the best things But I do not mean that In the perspective of a Jerry Falwell type viewpoint I do not mean that From the perspective of thinking that just because we have churches we're doing good I do not mean that In the fact that you know for those that are on team Jesus And those that are alumni of the church You know have uh, won in their favor What I mean by that is that I mean that Jesus, the greatest example of compassion and having human dignity, dignity enough that he would be willing to lower his own dignity to raise the dignity of others, I think that example is still found in every book, in every church, in every synagogue uh, all over the world. And I think if we were to start looking deeper into the things that connect with us as human beings, then our gospel would come to life. Then people would be brought to the church. The church is a human roach hotel. People come in and they die. Now, this is sad. This is sad. This is happening all over. This is happening all over the world. It is a human roach hotel. Now, there are those who are doing great work to create space. For those that are still living to not enter in that kind of uh, trauma-ridden environment. Some of those people are people like uh, Bishop Yvette Flunder, you know, doing great work. Uh, and, and I love any community that comes together and expresses the love of Christ over the fact that everybody else says that you are different. you are You are not special. You're not worthy you see as we've heard for years anybody who champions and says you know what those are your words god speaks otherwise i'm i'm a i'm i'm on the same same page with you we just do it from different ends
3: I don't know, brother Bushy, because I was taught all all roads lead to hell. Okay, there's only one road, and it is the road of Jesus H. Christ. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I'm being funny. I'm totally yeah. funny.
2: yeah, I know. <laughs> but yeah, I just I, I realized that um, if you don't attach yourself to the perspective that the church is the only. The you know if that were the case then we'd be functioning a whole lot better right
3: Yep that's so true
2: if if yep. if Ford if Ford made the best cars then there would probably be no need for Chevy if if certain things were so great and so wonderful there would be no need for copycats but here's the thing with the church being as great as it is as far as its reputation and as far as Uh, what it has touched regarding people's lives over at history, it still is not great and it will not be great until the people in the church connect deeper with themselves. Mm -hmm. Most of the people in church, most of them, you know, especially in rural areas of of the country have a fifth grade Sunday school education. Now, if that does not grow up, then you become a master of liturgy and you've never mastered what it means to overcome community crisis from a growing perspective. Everything changes. this is why some of our old methodologies don't seem to work for us. We've not assimilated it. We've not become like water. Bruce Lee said, be like water. Christ walked on water. You see, he turned water into wine. Now, whether he did or not, I'm of no concern and I'm in no position to argue that point. I'm an intellectual man. So it does point to the because water keeps coming up and it doesn't seem to be cleansing our sins of our social life and our own personal lives. We still hate each other on Sunday morning. Blacks and whites. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying the water and the stories of Christ dealing with water and all of the other people who had anything to do with water in the scriptures is irrelevant. What I'm saying is human beings do not seem to look deeper into the significances of those those elements. The sky is bleeding down radiation and all sorts of other things that's hurting us and our temperature on the planet is up one and a half degrees And scientists are telling us that within the next 20 to 25 years, we'll experience major catastrophic fallout as a result of our human negligence
3: Mm.
2: of handling such a holy place such as the water and the earth and those sorts of things. Mm. The gospel is not the problem. The gospel is a good gospel, whether it's interpreted correctly or incorrectly. Its interpretation is of insignificance. Understanding is not a requisite for cooperation with other human beings <sighs> when they're suffering. Yeah. You understand? Yes.
0: Yeah. So, when you talk about the gospel, when you talk about Buddhism, it seems to me that, that you still... You're still talking of we within both, which I love.
2: Right. And And what that is, the difficulty, the difficulty of seeing how that works is solely in your ability to detach like Mm -hmm. what is attachment people often ask me what is attachment you know from a buddhist perspective um and they don't ask me that from a christian perspective isn't that interesting yet Mm -hmm. the scriptures often talk about if you want to be great you got to be the last and the last will be first and the first will be last and one man tried to even do whatever he could to purchase his way into eternal life and jesus said what you got to give up everything you've gotten. Follow me. You've got to deny your attachments. You've got to see yourself as none of that. And I think that is um, that is what I understand. Now, it is not so hard to translate that over into your actual life. There are very basic practices that can bring you back to that reality. One. You cannot hold your hand on fire and not expect to retract it. You see, it will burn you. When you are hurt once in the church, when you're hurt for 20 years in the church, when you are destroyed by the church, you see, you cause damage to yourself. When you are able to identify those places in your spiritual life, even in your church community, that are damaging. One of the things that you must firstly do is weigh your responsibility to yourself in that. I heard one comedian say, you gotta become your your own star player. And you got to decide whether or not this is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to perceive. This is what you're going to follow. And uh, the, the issue with that is most of us from the cradle have been taught to assimilate to follow mm-hmm. we want something cold to drink we go to a machine we want something to eat from another country we have to drive to a restaurant to do that we want to look like this and we want to look like that we're always seeking external these attachments and that's what they are these things that we seek we want to uh, have more grace and more love and more tolerance and who do we reach for we reach for something outside of ourselves all of these things are homegrown. They are homegrown. The days of depending upon God to do any and everything for you outside of God's ability to do that should be over. <sighs> Human society is at such a place that religion, all religions, and I even classify Buddhism in that uh, in that in that vein, should reassess the tradition of following old papers, old books, and look at who we are as human beings and what we can accomplish outside of those books. Now, that's going to require some digging in, but that's what exactly what I did. I realized I am not my mothers, my grandmothers, my grandfathers. Uh, I'm not their mess. I may have been affected by. I may have been touched by. I am not my pastor's mess. I am not my church's mess. I may be affected by it. I may have touched it. But you as an individual have the the capacity. It only takes practice and that's exactly what it'll take. It's a matter of saying that I'm not going to do this and just don't do it. And you have to be very, very committed to that. You know, and and the evidences of, uh, you know, always keep the evidences as to why you don't want to go back or why you don't want to do this or why you don't want to do that. Keep those things around as a, as reminders, mm. you know, mm. uh, keep those things close by. We do a lot of praying. I've said for years when I was a pastor in a church and I often said he as a Buddhist. You can come and you can pray and you can do all of those things. But prayer is a supplement. Prayer is a supplement to divine things. People would say, what do you mean by that? Well, according to human history, at least on this planet as we know it, prayer has never stopped a war. Prayer has never stopped a child from being hungry. Prayer has never kept a white man from hanging someone from a tree when they didn't like them because of the color of their skin. Prayer didn't keep someone from walking into the church in Charleston, South Carolina and praying with the people that were there, and then killing them. Prayer didn't do that. Prayer didn't put the Catholic Church, with all of its Hail Marys and Our Fathers, in the predicament that it's in right now. Prayer didn't do that. And so I submit, and I often submit, that uh, as one who is a friend of Jesus, he's uh, he's, he's in another room right now, as a matter of fact. Um, You know, I often say, you know, prayer is... You know, prayer is prayer is not the problem. It is a people problem. It is us doing the thing. It is doing the thing. There's a passage of scripture that I still remember and I love to talk about. And it's very small. It says faith without works is dead. Being alone. Faith without works is dead. You understand? So we got a lot of faith. We Got a lot of preachers. We got a lot of Buddhist monks who come into monasteries to get away from trouble. To get away from their their woes and if you're coming to any place to assume that that place will alleviate your suffering then you'll be greatly disappointed in the end mm. The life that you live will be one of suffering in some sense because you have to grapple with those things you have to ask yourself the question so deeply that you realize wait a minute I'm believing in something. I'm doing something. I'm feeling a certain kind of way based on misinformation. I'm basing my life and how I live it and who I love and who I don't love on someone else's perspective. And there are many people who do that. You have to find yourself. And then when you find yourself, you can find the great divine. Another interesting point to make is isn't the church a tremendous place? Uh, We've been taught throughout history that we should never seek our own selves. To seek yourself is foolish. To have your own mind is foolish. We need to have the mind of Christ. Well, what does that look like? Well, you don't know, and not even by the examples of the, of the red letters or, or or all of the other stuff. We still don't know. We're, we're still under the cross, and Christ is still screaming, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. And the answer to our problem is to be true to ourselves and then be the Christ, be the God, be the Muhammad, be whoever you're going to be, be the Avilake be Chinrazi, be whoever you're going to be for the, the benefit of, uh, of alleviating suffering for others. But we've got to come out of this, this mindset that the, the church first. No, I know that's what we've been taught. That hasn't worked well for us church has neglected, the church has hurt people and is hurting in itself. And I often say hurting people hurt other people. The cycle of abuse in the church, this cycle of abuse amongst religious leaders will continue because there has to be a practice to deal with the suffering that the infidels are dealing with. Once one deals with very vividly the troubles of their own mind and come to realize, wow, I believe these things all my life only to come to find out that they're not as they are. And that's a difficult place for people, you know, to come to realize that now we're free. We're no longer slaves. People are like this in their minds, but where do we go? The emancipation proclamation was signed. We are no longer bound by certain things, but yet we don't know where to go. And so it's still a liability to our thinking, if we don 't know ourselves, I, I hope that uh, that translates well i think uh you know that 's a very that 's a point that we try to make around here a lot. you know uh, when you come here, we will teach you methods, ways in which to touch your deeper self. Uh, I am both, and i 'll say this for the first time. I have not said this in just about ten years or so um, I am. A Buddhist, but I am also a friend of Christ. Therefore, I am too a Christian. Neither progressive nor conservative, evangelical or liberal. I would classify my uh, my Christianity more akin to that of Thomas Merton. Where is contemplation of all things, thinking, seeing things as they are, being willing to slow down. We've, we've moved so fast since we've been on this planet. Generations have come, generations have gone. We've, we've, we've been moving and doing and going on this planet for so long, yet the planet is eroding as a result of our presence on it. And I think it's because we're doing too much. They, they often say that in music these days, you're doing too much. Um, <laughs> and there's not enough sitting down. The, the earth, the tapestry of how we deal with each other is just about like carpet. If you walk on it uh, a lot, if it's brand new, uh, more than normal, it'll lose its, its buoyancy. It'll lose its plushness and it'll become old and run down and needing of, of replacing and I think we've done a whole lot of going on this planet. Uh, we've done a whole lot of walking and seeing, but uh, we've not done a whole lot of sitting down. There aren't enough butt marks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's not enough. There's lots of footprints. <laughs> yeah, not enough butt prints.
0: No that butt is prints, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. I'm, I've been a big fan of netty netty in my mm-hmm. own walk, not this, not that. And. Mm-hmm. I think that's part Mm -hmm. of why I've resisted or not resisted, just haven't felt the need to don any labels, but hearing you embrace the labels with everything else that I'm hearing from you and feeling from you is a beautiful experience. I just wanted to name that like you you. embodying to me, what is so beautiful about both of, of these traditions, To me, I I do love so much about both of the traditions and think that they can be, as you're embodying, uh, Mm -hmm. beautifully paired and beautifully Mm -hmm. cooperative. And they can Mm -hmm. find a synergy. I am curious about the ways that they might not. Because if you think about Star Trek and Star Wars... Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. there's plenty of like similarities.
2: <laughs> Wait, are spaceships? you really comparing? Yeah, Buddhism
0: and Christianity and Star Wars. Yeah, they're different mythical yeah. universes.
2: <laughs> right, so I agree. they are.
0: So so <laughs> Marvel in there too. <laughs> so there's plenty yeah. of ways that you can talk about the similarities, but yeah, there's ways that you that it's gonna break down if you try to to say, you know, saying God. In the context of Buddhism, is going to be right. a little different than most—not mm-hmm. a little different, fundamentally different than yes. most Judeo-Christianity. The mm-hmm. understanding right. of a a fundamental separateness between me and my source versus right. a universe in which my source is my ultimate self. I um, see. Right. Yes. Exactly. And so that's just one example, but you, you're probably—I think—you're the most naturally conversant in both. East and West that I've ever heard or yeah. come across, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, how, right. do you, yeah. how do you switch universes <laughs> when yeah. you're talking? And how, how do they, com- com- I think yeah. there's plenty of obvious ways they can complement, and, and you've already touched on some of that if you want to add to any of that, but also what are right. the ways that you have to kind of choose one universe or the other when you're speaking?
2: Yeah, so, you know, uh, and thank you very much for that question. I appreciate that um it's uh i've often been asked that how do you do that and i think for me it was understanding what each tradition was what each uh, religion or philosophy was uh while buddhism has many religious aspects and in in many cases people consider it a religion Many hold many scholars, as well as those who practice deeply, hold Buddhism to be more of a philosophy or a way mm-hmm. of life. Um, it's uh, some people choose to wear certain types of shoes that mean certain things to them um, in Buddhism. It is a certain type of life of renunciation it is, uh, for me and for many, Buddhism is a way to go in the opposite direction of your religious experience. What I mean by that, to point on some uh, some fundamental issues, Buddhism does not hold a deity. Uh, it is very non-theistic. That is to mean that Buddhism does not hold a god. Buddhism, however, does recognize other gods of other religions and is very tolerant and accepting of other gods and gods of other religion the difference between my buddhism and my christendom is that buddhism is the practice and when i engage my christian friends or when i engage christ i engage christ or the christian perspective from or as an expression. So Buddhism is the philosophy and Christianity is the method, so to speak. And how does that look? Buddha, the Buddha was not one uh, of incompassion. He spent tremendous amounts of time with people loving on them and and caring for them and teaching compassion. Um, But he was more of a solitary creature who did more teaching Intertwining, Quite like Jesus, one would say. However, more explicitly, Jesus was committed to boots on the ground who s- sought uh, these spaces, sought to go across the margins and go as far as he could uh, to find human beings and to not only find them, but to engage their mentalities, to engage their physicalities, and to engage their emotions. Jesus went there to teach this message of uh, liberation, but also to demonstrate what that looked like through his own example. And so for me, Buddhism is a way to clear myself in order to become Christ. Christ he is a new creature is also something that talks about having a new mind let the let the mind in Christ also be the mind in you well what does that look like we don't know what he thought we don't know where he learned we don't know what school he attended we don't know what he was having in conversation with the father and so sometimes we opt out right there because we don't know we'll figure it up ourselves and there's the obvious answer that lies right there as to what to do it's not in a one peripheral how we should see Christ. We should see Christ through the, the didactic perspective where he taught and where he educated. And then we should also experience Jesus on the other side where he actually did, at least according to scripture, what he did. And that's not too far removed from what we can capably do today. Someone is hurting, stop along the side of the road and help them out. Someone is in needing of some encouragement. Someone is in need of not feeling as if some law is better than they you know as if in the 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 60s when negroes were confined to water fountains and restaurants he went to that well and made that woman to feel as if she's a part of society too those are the practices so for me buddha helps me to see that i have the capacity helps me to work on the garbage that would uh, obstruct my uh egoless efforts By removing my own ego. You see, Buddhism, the deep practice of sitting, the deep practice of seeing uh, your garbage, not lying to oneself, helps one to become more like Christ. And could it be one of the reasons why the church today, the global institution of the church, suffers because it has not attained enlightenment, but it has nurtured the ground it has plowed the fields. It has sowed the seeds. And now, humanity, all of society in many cases, and certainly the church, has attained egohood, the opposite mm. of enlightenment. Mm-hmm. And the delusion is we think we're doing something. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And the evidence or the walking on the water is the suffering that we see every day. And so we're missing We're missing the point. Hmm. <laughs> Everything changes, and, and such a capital power such as the church may find this quite difficult. And yet I think the church is changing in many ways, but it is experiencing some reluctance, some resistance in its institution. And we should not worry about that. We should not worry about the institution. We should not worry about the institution at all. We should be worrying about ourselves as a, as a participant in the institution. Find out from within ourselves whether we are actually aiding or hindering the help that we can offer as a, as a church, as a religious body to people, you know, until we know that. I mean, if you, you know, if I had stayed uh, in West Palm Beach all of my life, you know, it's a good possibility. I would have been so uh, adjusted to the culture and uh, adjusted to the, to the rituals and standards. You know, some people are like that, we know. And uh, I would have never known this. And one of the things that was encouraged to me when I was a child is, uh, you know, that uh, you ought to stay here because it's a beautiful place. You know, there's lots of money here. There's lots of wealth. Uh, we lived about a mile and a half from the Atlantic Ocean. So I often say that my front yard was the Atlantic Ocean and we have a private lake behind the house that I lived. If I had stayed there, that would have been the only perspective of what opulence looks like. And so I would have gone out into the world trying to measure my wisdom, measure my knowledge, an inch worth of it, trying to stretch it out across a yardstick. Mm. And this is where many of us fail in our religious lives. We learn a little bit or somebody tells us enough that we feel comfortable in defending it and standing on it and reciting it and doing it. And we never investigate the very thing that we're doing. And sometimes all we do is travel and carry trauma from generation to generation and a misunderstanding of Christ and God from a deeper human perspective for generations and generations. Mm-hmm. Until we change, until we stop and realize, you know, the idea that God comes first, you know, has to, has to change, has to change. I pastored people who were 100, 200 pounds overweight, praying for God to do something for their lives. I prayed for people who were doing things in 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 their lives that without their knowledge, their ignorance just kept them there. And they thought it was somebody else's fault. You know, I have prayed for people who just got older before me, still praying for the same thing. And the whole time they'd come into the church, the answer sat right with them. And so I think uh, the church needs to rethink where God is and where God isn't. God certainly isn't up there at the end of that ladder trying to reach Babel. God certainly ended up there with Hubble so far because we haven't been able to find him. And so (laughs) I think that it would be who of us to stop the lunacy and realize that this God that we're talking about is much bigger and much more personal than we've given credit to this brick and mortar.
3: Wow. I know you call yourself a preacher, but sir, I perceive you to be a prophet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I just I, I want to get as much as I can from you about the sort of interfaith thing because I don't think many people do that well. Yeah. Uh,
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard, right?
0: I mean, it's hard
2: right. When, right. You, when you have yeah. all
0: the assumptions of your own story and your own mm-hmm. mythic universe. And I, I think generally I would agree mm-hmm. with you that Buddhism or Hinduism or Taoism would, mm-hmm. would generally be more naturally – spacious enough to include other religions or stories within them because sure
2: at the sure. end of the day yeah. it all
0: goes back to the one right um, mm-hmm. and there's pl- plenty mm-hmm. of room for all sorts of incarnations
2: right. within that one absolutely. absolutely where
0: as in most unless you're talking about the contemplative or mystic Christian tradition it's a pretty right. strict right. Um, yeah <laughs> metaphysic or cosmology or of God mm. being sort of, somehow separate from the universe and from, from incarnation. He was, his incarnation was through Jesus and that's the word of God. And the rest of it's like kind of, you know, depending on how Mm -hmm. theoretical or or contemplative you want to get Um, Mm -hmm. the mystics Mm -hmm. see through those lines. But yes, but I think what I'm really intrigued by in hearing you is, is how, how you've been able to marry some of the best of both. And so when I think about like America and when you said that Jesus has been so important for America, I so agree. And Christianity Mm -hmm. has enough belief in separateness, enough belief in the ego Mm -hmm. to say, Hey, Mm -hmm. no, this isn't correct. This is not Mm -hmm. right. You can't do this. You can't own people as slaves. You can't, you know, there's exactly. And within Buddhism or, or a tradition that says, well, it's, a slave and the master are one in the same Godhead. It's a little more difficulty Mm. to get some shit done.
2: That's right. Absolutely. Right. (laughs) Uh,
0: So Christianity coming with that sort of prophetic edge of like, no, here is the truth. Here's what needs to be done. Here's the kingdom of God. Mm. But Mm. I think on the other hand, in America, we have gotten to this point where we have taken it all so seriously Mm -hmm. that we're just Mm. drowning in suffering. That we're just mm-hmm. miserable and we're we're in hatred of each other and because we believe our stories of separateness so much, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that question. I love this book by Ellen Watts called Beyond Theology mm. that he mm. he tries to bring Hinduism and Christianity together. And right. one of his big questions is: Is this compatible? Is is the question? Is this serious? Like ultimately, right. <laughs> is this serious? <laughs> are are we right. in? In a movie where we're really enjoying <laughs> the drama and the the suffering for a moment, the Godhead being we, we where we're like in this yeah. crazy play, but it's it's Maya, it's illusion, it's gonna it's gonna go away back into the oneness eventually. Or right. is it right. at the core actually serious? And are we in peril of hell or heaven? You know, like Christianity right. yeah. at its core is more serious in a way. Mm-hmm. It's the, we mm-hmm. wouldn't call it the the cosmic joke. Of existence necessarily um Mm -hmm. so how how do you navigate that with somebody who has obviously suffered a lot in your practices i would imagine you've had moments at least if not a constant presence at this point of seeing through the illusion of separateness seeing through the illusion of self and how does that yeah how does that inform your um both Christianity and practice of Buddhism.
2: Yeah. So, you know, my, my theology is quite simple. It may, it may seem that it is uh, polished and exquisite, but it is quite simple. Uh, and that is, uh, what is what is most important. So I came to understand that what we say and what actually occurs are separate. Now, what we say changes. Often what is happening, you know, it'll, it'll change on its own, but no matter how we define it, uh, it will change. So for me, I came to understand that there are some things in theological perspective. In even Buddhist perspective, that we shouldn't hold on to rather dogmatically certain uh, ideologies or certain um, certain viewpoints uh, if they're not born of your own experience, because they change. Now, my understanding of Christ, because we haven't seemed to to I guess pretty much uh, ratified you know, what kind of God image we're going to lay out for ourselves. There are multiple. So I choose a rather, rather streamlined approach to that. You see, I don't like waiting in line. And so I've learned to bypass all of the stuff that causes this kind of critical thinking. Even though critical thinking is necessary, I am a critical thinker. But I don't think with regards to our social life, The basic tenets of being human being don't require of us to have either understanding, knowledge, or or the necessary tools in order to understand uh, humanity. Why do I say that? Simply because all of us as human beings are born with five senses. That is, you know, hearing, uh, touch, taste, sound, and sight. And all of us experience the world differently, yet we only use those senses to translate the information. All of us also only are capable of thinking two ways. Every human being on this planet thinks only two ways to assume that we can think bigger is, is lunacy. Like we either think and we base our world's on past events. Or our pursuit in some way, whether personally, theologically, industrially, educationally, whatever our pursuits might be, may be engineered towards finding something of the past or of reaching for a future that has not materialized. Mm. All of us live in that perspective. Mm. And I think uh, for me, I came to realize we're not getting anything done because we're caught between those two poles. Now, history taught Mm. me that. History taught me that. History taught me that in my lifetime, 49 years, I've probably heard the same things when I was two and three and four and five, and they're still alive in church today. Yet the communities around the faithful continue to suffer. Many within the church are dealing with issues of trauma as a result of old thinking, you see. So for me, I kind of streamlined Jesus. I don't have to know, well, where to find, uh, first Thessalonians. I don't have to know whether or not the wine was ferment. I don't have to know that. But I do know. You know, I don't have to know that. I don't to have make. to, you know, I don't have to do that. That's, uh, that's, you know, that's what I call getting caught up in the paralysis of analysis. And that's why you're just spinning your wheels, going nowhere. And for those that are suffering in the moment, suffering in the right now, The thing that the Buddha taught and the thing that Jesus taught right now. Heaven is now. The kingdom of earth is now not to be found outside. You don't have to go uh, dig up a treasure map to find it. It's right now. It's happening right inside your own mind. Make it. Our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, and then there's this part about, uh, you know, know, uh, make everything like it is in heaven here on earth. With these external perspectives, um, we're still seeking it and we have the power to do it. So for me, I kind of cut through the garbage. <laughs> I don't care whether, a per- yeah, I don't, I don't care whether a person is uh, gay or straight or a woman or a man, tall or short. It doesn't matter. That's how we come as human beings. We choose this other stuff to argue about. And that never, any, none of those arguments ever stop Jesus from wanting to stick up and stand up for people uh, in their in their plights of, of suffering, and so I've just uh, I guess uh, too much studying maybe you know come to realize wait a minute there's a lot of theory here, but there haven't been uh, there hasn't been much uh, much evidences you know that comes out of theory you know there's not much that shakes out of theory there's only more theory, but to practice the thing to to lay down our attachments and really become one with ourselves. We can see others then. It's hard to suffer correctly when you're comfortable. And it's hard to see people uncomfortable when you're suffering well. I don't know if that... Make any mm. sense to you? But uh...
3: no, you just literally stump us, and we just like sit here and just like, <laughs> whoa, <Wow. laughs> which is kind of rare for us, actually. Like, that...
2: <laughs>
3: oh, we're
0: just we're just breathing. Wow, we're just, we're just we're just putting butt marks on the earth, man.
2: Yeah,
3: we're just sitting Yeah, sit down, shut up. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, you know, I deeply believe in these things. This place uh, where I live now. Many failed to, to, to understand the history of this place. My whole life was given to this place. Um, I became a homeless person. My wife and my family, our three children and two uh, small children at the time, we left our home and moved into this, uh, this huge place, this very very large, what was at, a, at one point a church. We moved into this place, and then in the mornings I would get up I would uh, begin working on trying to make the place a better place for the community, make it uh, a place of healing for myself and my family. So it was a short walk to work, but this is a, this has been a committed work. And maybe that's sometimes to be considered when, when one considers how I've reached to this place, how I've come to these truths. Now I had, I had some special circumstances. I lived where I worked which meant if my work was to be true, then my soul had to be poured out honestly into it. And um, my suffering was poured out into this place. My healing was birthed through this place. My ability to see Jesus for more than just a couple of pans going around the church uh, and a collar around my neck, you know, was born out of, Living through this trauma right here in the place that I practiced my deepest spirituality walking with Jesus And then allowing myself The grace and the gratitude To uh, to see this big world and all of its other perspectives that God had offered and uh, mine was through Buddhism and through other faiths So the world of religions came to heal me and as a result of coming to love them back I am their brother um, and I understand the essence of God, not necessarily through our words or our translations of books. We've got many of those, the evidences that we don't do good with the books, but this place has taught me the deeper understanding that God in, in in the books and God in the liturgy and God of, you know, the program and the institution, they are no more than road signs. Churches are no more than giant road signs with all of their elaboracy. They're no more than road signs. And we can come to that conclusion because the church, as Christ once predicted, and as many have often talked about it through scripture, it it will suffer and it does suffer. It hurts and it does seek to heal, but it's missing one major thing. And that is the, the detachment of the hand of God and the ability to learn to stand on its own two human feet. This is what the church fails uh, at doing. You know, it's interesting. Jesus said, how long do I have to suffer with it? My God, when will you get it? Uh, certain things, you know, you're not going to get unless you're actually doing it. And, you know, you can't pray it up. The evidence is all that that we know that we see that no one today can tell me that, you know, oh we've been we've been praying and all of these wonderful things are happening. Well, that may be good. That may be actually happening. I'm not impressed with that. I don't seek to be impressed. What I do seek is to know where the evidence of your love is, where, where the evidence is of your abilities to help others to suffer less are. That's all I'm concerned about, because that is the work of Jesus, and that's the work that I'm interested in doing. That is the work of the Buddha, Mm. you know, alleviating our own sufferings. One of the things that we pray every Sunday here is, you know, may all beings have happiness and the causes of happiness. And that points back to us because we are the cause. Money is not the cause of happiness. The suicide list of the rich as well as those who don't have a dime can prove that. And history is replete with illustrations of sadness coupled around money. That is not to say money or wealth is a bad thing, but it's not the answer.
0: How do you help alleviate suffering? If How do you go about that?
2: Well, you have to you know, realize that uh, it is what it is, as they say. You don't make it any bigger. You know, importance is in how how you treat it. It's all in how you treat it. Attachment is this. If you can live without it, then you're not attached. If you can't live without it, then you are attached. If you evaluate along that line, if you take that statement and you evaluate where you are in your spiritual life, then this will give you some sort of insight into yourself because if the thing changes, right? And you're attached, you will crumble. You are the thing itself. Mm. If the thing crumbles and you are able to transition with it, and I'm not saying that you won't cry. I'm not saying that you won't hurt. I'm not saying Mm. that you won't get mad and say some foolish things. I'm not saying those things at all because those are human. Mm. What I'm saying is this, if you can live without it, then you understand some small measure of what it means to be separate. Take that into your spiritual life. Practice with that. See what it feels like to visualize in your own mind, being on your own without a reliance on God. You have to be daring. You have to be daring to breathe the air as it is, without understanding or without even knowing if God is present. You have to be willing to experience this life, without the prerequisite that you suggest to yourself every day, that you can't survive without this image of God. You have to convince yourself of that. You have to walk yourself through that. You must sit with that. More than that, you must open your eyes and realize, you know what? How many times have you prayed in the week and you're still here? without a reliance on God. Mm. Moments in our lives when we are totally human, the church isn't near our thoughts, isn't uh, in our minds, yet we are faithful and we survive. Mm. And so I think this hyperactivity around some sort of support system or not, some sort of bad thing happening or not, we should rid ourselves of that. These are tendencies that were taught to us when we were children, and they just kept on growing up because nobody checked them. You know, it's like somebody screaming, "Screaming, run, run!" What's the first human reaction? We would run in many cases. Well, when you know how to do that with people's spirituality,
0: <laughs> you got William rolling. There around. it is.
2: Yeah. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. And this is why people get stuck in that, not being able to see objectively, not being able to see clear, so reliant on uh, on what's before them to interpret. The, the world around them. I have people here who dislike me uh, merely because of the color of my skin. Mm-hmm. We have people here who are very open about uh, disliking me because of uh, me being Buddhist. And there are those who dislike me because of being a martial artist and those who dislike me because I'm a martial artist, black Buddhist and a once was a Christian church. You see? <laughs> Sounds like witchcraft. Can- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so I can't, uh, you know, I can't make that. That's not my stuff. And when we say that we have to practice in such a way that that, that is actually before us at all times. We hear, we become compassionate to the expressions of others. We become very open to hear and tolerant without putting our own perspective, uh, Mm. first, you see. Um, and so, you know, yeah, I guess I've, I've, uh, I've worked on it and I work on it every day. These are what I'm telling you now are practices that I perform every single day, mm. o- often in solitude, often uh, uh, alone in a way. So we have this dependency. Sometimes don't we feel holy when other people are around, you see? Mm. And so being in isolation helps one to deal with, you know what, there's no ego to nurture. Mm. So now all you have to do is sit with yourself. And so I do lots of this. And as a result, yeah. you know, I don't I don't lie to myself. Very forthcoming with other people. And my compassion is true because I've allowed myself to sit in observation to watch. Watch what makes the person scream the nasty things to you whenever they come in from work. You see, just sit and watch and observe. Watch, you know, the little girl or the little boy uh, that goes away. From everybody else. You know, they're not weird, you know, that may be someone's interpretation, but they may be hurting. They may have some sort of, if you sit and watch and quit running our mouths, we may learn something. That was a lesson that uh, my grandmother used to, used to often emphasize, sit down and shut up. Close your mouth. Yeah,
3: yeah I was about to say, that's like lectures too, the whole sit down <laughs> yeah. thing. They're like, sit down. <laughs> Child, sit down. Yeah, right. <laughs> you
0: don't stop now. Yeah, right.
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. So,
0: when I hear you... Correct me if I'm mischaracterizing what you're saying, but when you're thinking about alleviating the suffering of others, so often in Christendom, we so quickly move to being a separate ego that tries to make something happen for them, tries to fix it (laughs) in some way, and it's still really connected to our own ego. And so often we just end up making the problem worse when we get in with our egos and try to do that. Mm -hmm. But what I'm hearing from you is learning to be so open and clear within your own experience of this moment that it creates a spaciousness for their suffering to play itself out, to dissipate.
2: Yes, absolutely. You know, so there, there are practices, you know, that we often uh, practice in Buddhism, uh, and one of them, you know, is, is meditation. Meditation is a phenomenal practice. Uh, but it is in the meditation process that, you know, I have found a unique way to deal with the ego of myself that was once steeped in church culture and steeped deeply in the mindset or the protocol thinking of religiosity, particularly Christianity in America. Sitting in such a posture Whereas, you know, I'm sitting in Lotus and I don't, you know, just sit and close my eyes and just allow the sounds to go around me and just accept those as a part of, you know, my being. But I go beyond. I imagine through visualization myself standing or sitting higher than myself just behind me. So if you could imagine sitting on uh, some bleachers in a stadium, and then there's the people sitting in the step just behind you. And what I do is I visualize myself looking down on myself. And I often do this constantly, whereas my meditation is not only a quiet, solitary thing, but when I emerge from my meditative state, I emerge in a very lucid and vivid meditation, and I'm still looking down on myself. And this is a visualization practice. And what does that do for me? What it does is it allows us to be able to monitor and see very clearly, if you keep the practice, the behavior that other people are viewing that's coming from your presence. So in other words, instead of being so deeply involved in our minds where we're sitting, we're going over everything, we're looking and we're believing and we're angry. And this thought comes around and that com- th- thought comes around and we're constantly in this kind of up and down situation that keeps us in uh, samsara. What I do is I have envisioned myself above myself. This keeps me very... Clear, pretty much uh become your own Papa Geppetto. Um from a visualization standpoint, you're a little more careful about what comes out of your mouth, mm-hmm. whether it be true or false, what you say to others, you see, whether it be kind or good. These sorts of practices we have to bring to ourselves, we our, our religions. Uh, have largely failed as a result of the protocol, being taught things that were not primordial, that were not indigenous to our human anatomy, you see, our human psyches. Um, mm-hmm. All of these practices, many or, or many perspectives of Christianity keep us so high in the sky and thought and theory mm-hmm. uh, that our ground uh, effort or boots on the ground, as I often call uh, call them, you know, uh, are never are never enacted. Mm-hmm. So we get this half truth. There's no reason whatsoever. A seven year old in some far Midwest place in America should hate black people, and he's never had any direct experience. Mm-hmm. That's a learned thing. There's no reason that someone should have a hatred or a mislike of people who are LGBT. If they've had no direct experience, this is lunacy. This is no more than believing in the monsters under your bed. Huh. And that works both ways. Yeah, for me, that, that practice keeps me stable, whereas I'm always in service uh, and never allowing my egohood uh, to take capital reign, you see. Uh, and these are practices. These are practices. When there's less of you, there's more of Christ. And I think Christ and so many others pointed to that. They sounded all real good when we were younger, and now we're all growing up, and now we're in a shitstorm, and everybody's trying to figure out, you know, well, what do we do? Oh, we missed it. We missed it. We got so caught up in the the protocol of what we thought. And uh, now we realize our absence of human involvement in our religion, <laughs> Is, uh, is costing it
0: i remember reading um anthony de when i was in my 20s and he would talk about attachment within love and I could tell there was something beautiful and true about the separation between love and attachment, but it was really difficult to even know what what is love without attachment at that point in my life. It was...
2: Right, right. Like,
0: I, had, it was so foreign and alien, and I imagine there's people out there listening to your voice and hearing you describe all these things, mm. and when you come from an entirely different mythic universe, uh, right. some of it might feel so alien... <laughs> And yeah. so, like foreign, but but I think, and I hope, and I would encourage those who hear something in this, something in your voice, something in the way that you've lived out these ideas and lack of ideas. I hope that it catches people, and I think it will, that there was something about reading those words about loving without attachment. what is that? how is that even possible that I didn't yeah. see it yet, but eventually it kept digging its way into my life and experience and I could find Oh, that's the attachment versus the love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I had a friend, I was, I was talking about some problems of a friend recently with a different friend who is a Buddhist and I was talking and really concerned about this other friend and he goes, yes. And he's like, if you care what happens to him, you're of no use to him. (laughs) I could hear, I could hear it and understand it, but that's, And I was like, it's a great reminder. Um, But that is language that is really alien and foreign to a lot of us. Um, But that, like, loving without having any stake in what happens, in the outcome. That's right. Losing losing hope, in a way. Like, getting rid of
2: hope. (laughs) That's right. That's right.
0: (laughs) So that you can be present to this.
2: mm, That's right. So I'm, I'm working on a piece now and uh, many have been uh, at me for years. I'm a rather reclusive person. Um, my journey has uh, taken me deeply, deeply in and I've spent uh, the last 10 years uh, making public appearances in, in various or selected spaces. However, I am working on a piece now um, for the first time that will deal with uh, an interpretation of love that I kind of Devised, uh, you know, of my own. And I, and it's a, it's a Buddhist Christian type of interpretation. So I interpret love as, uh, or, or what love is, is preemptive empathy. Hmm. Um, preemptive empathy. And what I suggest with that preemptive empathy is, This, that whether or not we understand a person's plight directly with experience or direct experience, we as human beings have all felt the same physical anomalies, mental anomalies, emotional anomalies as a result of those five senses that we all have. This is where our community really lies. It's not in the differences. Those things that divide us, uh, you know, they, they, they may be tantalizing to us, to our physical, uh, human natures, but the greatest of us is to be found in this, uh, this idea of a preemptive love, whether we don't, we don't have to know directly what each other has gone through, but we know when people are hurting, when people are suffering, and when people are, are happy. We've at some point in our lives experienced those very same things. And so this should give us, a sense of ease and comfort in knowing that we are not out of place when other people are experiencing what they're experiencing with human life, and conversely, when we were uh, or in the church we're often you know offered this uh this kind of duality it's them and us there's the saved and the sinner there's the good and the bad, right and wrong and uh we forget about the human stuff in between that we all experience that we can connect on. Yeah, Christ was human. <laughs> and I think more so in that that perspective uh, a bodhisattva. Yeah. Yeah, a bodhisattva.
0: Is there anywhere that you would like to point people to anything you're working on or anything that would yeah, like to so
2: point people to. I will always, as a, a renunciant of, of funding or a renunciant of money, I took a vow of poverty, but I'm always in the, in the work of letting people know if they want to support us financially, uh, they can go to our website to, to do so. But I would like to point people to explore uh, Thomas Merton, Alan Watts, uh, people such as my teacher. Lama Rod Owens, uh, Lama Justin Von Bodash, you know, those personalities that are working directly in the seams of suffering. Mm -hmm. Um, I I largely like to point to those that are doing good work of bringing humanity together. Um, People such as the, the Reverend William Barber, who's on the front lines fighting for, for rights. You know, I think there are those of us who have Christ consciousness, who are so detached from the idea of ego that we are we're willing to in large numbers stand up for many people at one time. Some of us can only shepherd a small flock, but there are those of us that are endowed with Christ consciousness to such the power and who are actual living bodhisattvas who mm-hmm. can handle such a larger capacity. And I think uh, Reverend Barber's doing doing that work, wonderful. Mm. Um, Also the Wild Goose Festival. I I almost uh, never miss pointing out the festival, not because when I transitioned as a Zen monk, the good folk at the Goose gave me home and a place to help to grow into this thing, Mm. this person that I've become today. So if anybody finds any value in that, it is as a result of following these people who encouraged this kind of stepping away from ourselves our egos to really see who we are and what we're fighting for in in others and for others so i just say i just want to point, uh, point people to those directions shout out to my wife she's everything and uh, largely this theology this transition of my life that is affecting so many thousands of people the globe, largely influenced by this little country girl that I met on a blind date. So I, I thank her for lending me also <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to all of the people that we touch.
3: <laughs> What's your website?
2: Uh, it is uh, repabushi.com. dot com and, and others can reach us at our, our, our center site. It is Thomasville Buddhist C. Uh, at gmail.com
0: bushy what an honor and a pleasure to speak to you thank you for thank being
2: you with us. it's been my pleasure
0: we'd like to thank our patrons as always for doing what you do to make this show possible if you're interested in becoming a patron where you get an extra podcast every week and some meditations just go to the you can find a link there thanks to greg nordine for editing support Thanks to Tom Crouch from Liminal Music for a couple of those tracks in there, as well as On Earth Music, which is my band with Tyler Chester. Thanks for listening, everybody.